uh, leave it to the Gainigs to have their children born in such a way that it could be baptized on the eighth day. Uh, you know, who else thinks about that? What a cooperative child already, <laughs> listening to mommy and daddy. So I think that I think the child was born, I think, at 2 a.m. So uh, that, that means next Sunday would be exactly the eighth day, which is, uh, you know, you can't make that kind of thing up. So uh, it's kind of fun. So I was going to go, and he was going to go. I'm sure he had a raft of stuff to talk to you about, but I'll do a little bit of what he was going to do, and then at least, I, at least I'll, not his way. I don't know what he was going to do, but I'll do it the way I would do it, and then life will be good. But first, let's pray. Lord God Almighty, who every year renews the face of the earth and whose will it is to renew this fallen world from sin and death. Grant, we beg you, that we may discern in your Son the dawning of true life and in him our share of the new creation. He who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, great to see you. Thanks very much. Um, so many things uh, to pay attention to now, please. Uh, the Afternoon Circle women have put this huge, ginormous food thing together. Um, if you don't go there after this Bible study, it's just not going to go well for any of us, okay? <laughs> so I just, I'm just saying to you, you should go eat some stuff, and then you should eat some more, and eat all of it, and then say, it was so good, I wish there was more to eat, I'll just have to buy a cookbook, do that. I'm just telling you, it's just like, you know, that's how you, that's how a church works. So just eat stuff, buy stuff, have fun. Then at two, next door to the information meeting, I think it's in the chapel upstairs. I'm not that far down my palm yet, but um, it is next door to questions and answers, um, you know, what we're doing, where we're going, how we hope to live together, all that kind of stuff. So that should be coming and I believe now, and I'm also not this far now, I believe that it's the identical thing on Saturday. But, you know, come today and questions out if you can. So go eat, buy, go listen, talk, have fun. And then it'll be 5 o'clock, and then you can go do what you want. Okay, after that. Uh, this will go to Russia, please. Um, so uh, if you have anything, drop it in there for them. Uh, I can't tell you what a stunner it was. You remember our cleaning lady. Uh, her son died. You remember the story. Her son died in Mexico. Great sadness. She's very poor. Didn't have enough money even to get back. And there was a big charge to get his body out of the morgue for a burial. And um, I don't know. St. John came up with like a thousand bucks for it, which was um, for her, you know, dying and going to heaven. So thanks very much for that. That was quite a stunner. You saw, I think the boss wrote a letter and said, you know, we, didn't, we never quite ever had, any, had anything like that. One of the great things about St. John is how well um, our kind of external staff are treated by our staff that's here. They really become, I mean, we've been invited to parties, to weddings, to, you know, we've had guys fall off ladders, we've had people hit by cars, now we've had deaths. And we, for many of those people, have become... They come here and they're not, they don't get connected to a church, either language barrier or maybe they were in a state church in Eastern Europe and, and uh, this place has become church for many of them. So thank you very much for your generosity toward them. Uh, it's just been kind of a, it's been a great thing to watch the church in action. Okay, um, I can tell you what I want to do today. I mean, I'm going to do the ninth and 10th commandments together. And um, you remember this is under the rubric of making a good confession. That's what Gainig was going to do, but I'm going to do it. And then next week, um, I'm going to have him start to talk about restitution, which is a, a much neglected uh, topic among Lutherans. 
you know, we're so good at I forgive you, I forgive you too, and then as if nothing happens. You know, um, the world doesn't just work that way, and, and the scriptures are full of places. Ma part of making wrongs right is actually to make wrongs right, to go back and undo the evil insofar as you are able. So, um, you know, people always ask, well, I mean, so I always give you the easy example of if you rob a bank, then you, you can say you're sorry, but you give the money back. You know, people always ask about when pastors are in confession and they hear, you know, some horrible thing. A person has abused a child or a person has committed murder or done some heinous thing. You know, the reality is um, a real confession that receives real forgiveness uh, also receives the consequences or mitigates them insofar as they are able. So if you've, you know, damaged someone deeply, you undo it. If you've killed somebody, you know, you confess, you're forgiven, then you go turn yourself in. That's how the world works. And one doesn't pronounce about um, this and that because we can't see uh, inside people's hearts. But um, there's been a pretty strong run of uh, lessons through Lent and into the epistles about by your fruits you'll know them, especially in the weekly epistles, um, 1 John 3 and 4. You know, if you do righteous things, you're righteous. And if you do unrighteous things, you're unrighteous. You know, liars lie and sinners sin and thieves steal and uh, Christians don't. And so, um, and you had the bit from sanctification today about the, in the margin comments from the large catechism about how the Holy Spirit propels you into a new life. And that new life is joy. It's not Jesus ruined your fun, which is why I've often said to you then, you can hear the Ten Commandments as gospel first and not as law. I welcome you into the promised land. I'll be your God. I'll give you my name. I'll serve you. Be honest. Be true to your spouse. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't covet. And let's live together as Israel. That's a glorious, good gift that where God makes the first move. And that's um, kind of where we're coming to. So all this under the rubric of, of making a good confession. Uh, and again, forgive us if we as pastors didn't say this to you early enough and often enough. We're trying to make up for it now. Does anybody, this would be your last chance. Anybody need one of these? I have 20. I'd love to give them away. I don't want to put them in a file somewhere. Anybody need this? What? Raise your hand. Seriously. Love you. Fred Gady, can you help me? You're a reliable man. Okay, so just take this. <clears throat> um, while Fred's doing that, you remember that, or maybe you don't remember, but your Jewish friends and your um, Calvinist friends, your evangelical friends, often number <clears throat> the commandments differently. You remember there's no numbers written in the text in the Old Testament. And so when it says, you know, the, 10 words, uh, you know, when, there, when there's 10 words, you've got to come up with a list of 10. Uh, often they um, split the first two and combine the last two. So don't have any other gods is one, and then don't make a graven image is two. Okay? We, we put those together. Uh, but then at the end, we're a little bollocked up because we have don't covet things and don't covet people, but in, in, in reality... It's the same thing. Their numbering might be slightly better, but sometimes when you start talking about the fourth commandment with somebody who may not be of your ilk, they might not know which commandment you're talking about. So always be able to say, you know, what it is you're talking about. If I need to localize the last two commandments for you, I can localize them for you in this way. This is about what satisfies your soul. It's a very easy question. The question is, what satisfies your soul? I just read, I was flipping through Barron's yesterday morning, and there was some, I didn't read the whole thing, but there was some study about how one more study, as if we needed one more study, 
that really rich people aren't really happy. Here he's like, now of course, <laughs> you, if you're not rich, you'd always like to give it a try. Uh, you know, a couple of billion, billion dollars, you know, but maybe that, you know? Well, it kind of turns out if you study things objectively, um, really rich people aren't really happy, any happier than anybody else, and frankly, they're often more unhappy um, for a range of reasons, from the press of having that much to being oriented toward the wrong things to all their relatives who are constantly trying to shake them down and they can't have a normal conversation with anybody, right? So the question underneath this, underneath this, this word, this ninth and tenth word is, what satisfies you? Now the answer, of course, is the Eucharist. And the reason the answer is the Eucharist is because the Eucharist is Christ. The answer, of course, is baptism. The answer is baptism because that is where God brings you into a family unlike any other family. The answer, of course, is absolution, where Jesus takes your sins away and makes wrongs right. He takes away your sins. The only way they hurt you is if you take them back. But the only way you'll ever understand that is to do it. And so in the gospel lesson, you heard this. I, you can't imagine all the stuff going on in that gospel lesson. Uh, so it's at the dawn. Yeah, that, that's right, it's Easter. And um, they, they do exactly what they're asked to do. They pitch the net over on the other side. And then the gifts come so full that they, they can't imagine it. And then, yet, the text is very careful to say, but the net doesn't break. So the Lord gives you gifts, but he doesn't stretch you beyond your capacity for those things. And then the undoing of, of Peter's three denials. And, and Peter gets a bit annoyed with him. Jesus isn't annoyed at all because what Jesus is doing is undoing each of the denials. And Peter takes it as, aren't you paying attention? And Jesus gives it as, I just want you to be sure that you know that I'm undoing everything you've done against me. And then he says, um, when you're an old man, they'll take you away and kill you. And then he says, what were the last words of the text? Follow me which is absolutely counterintuitive. If Peter was asking, according to himself, what would satisfy me in my life, what's, what, what we think is wholly unsatisfying is to be bound and taken away and crucified upside down. We would normally find that wholly unsatisfying, and Jesus says to him, this is the most satisfying thing for you. So you might think again, and I've said this repeatedly through the commandments, the trouble with us is we put our grid on them, um, and and, and we, we go by what we think or by what, what we feel. And um, frankly, you're, almost nothing in your life that is important has anything to do with what you think or feel until your thinking and your feeling has been redeemed. Okay? So the best possible thing for you, body and soul, the best possible thing for you, thinking and feeling, the best possible thing for you is, and now I'm going to take you back where we started eight weeks ago, if you love me, you will do what I command. Love is obedience, and obedience is gospel, and gospel is satisfaction. Boom, 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 boom. And that's what people are meant to do. That's what you've been baptized into. That's what you've committed to. That's the Christian life. To do exactly what Jesus says, follow me, even at the Peter point of saying, because um, when we get there, they'll bind you and they'll crucify you upside down. 
you know, you can sneak in now and see Peter's bones under the altar at the Vatican. You have to, you have to ride ahead. Uh, last time I was there, I, two times ago I wrote to Gail, was denied. Uh, then I wrote a nicer letter about what an impact it would have on my soul. Then I was engaged. Uh, but it is quite interesting. Um, you can see sort of the edge. Uh, take it or leave it. Um, the older I get, the more things I take. So, all right, any questions about any of that? If you want to be satisfied, obey, but here obey in a gospel way. Here it is love. To love Jesus is to listen, and to be a Hebrew, a Jew, listen is to do, and to do what you hear is to obey over and over and over again. It was in last Tuesday's um, reading at the morning Eucharist. I mean, just about four times. It's a read the high priestly prayer, John 14, 15, 16. He just keeps saying, my father loves me and I love him. He tells me what to do and I do it. If you're my disciples and you love me, I'll tell you what to do and you do it. Not under the law, under holy cow, this is otherworldly. This is, this is different. This is redeemed. This is new creation. This is resurrection. This is love. This is gospel. And what we confess is that we'd like to go it on our own. Okay? Our confession is we'd like to go it on our own. And that's the thing that you're trying to confess here. Still okay? Alright, just, just pick this up. I'm not going to spend an awful lot of time because the other thing that we're going to do is tremendously more important. Um, we've only got 20 minutes left. Don't covet your neighbor's house. We should fear and love God that we don't scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house <clears throat> or get it in any way which only appears right, but be of help and service to him in keeping it. So this is about stuff. Don't try to take other people's stuff. Be happy with the stuff you've got, okay? How Christians should be taught to confess. My God has given me everything I need and all that's good for me. This is page 11 in the little pamphlet, okay? Have I longed for the honor, wealth, happy life of what seemed to be the, life, the easy life of others? Has my life been full of craving for these things? So when you wake up in the morning, what do you think about? When you go to bed at night, what's the last thing you think about? What do you dream about? When you're not thinking about anything else, what is it you're thinking about? This is a very easy test. What preoccupies your attention? Which is a great reason, honestly, to say your prayers all day long. Because when you say your prayers, you're preoccupied by other things. Have I been stingy and self-indulgent with my money, trying to keep up with what others had? Um, you know, gee whiz. If any, the last couple of years have taught us anything, one of the things that's taught us is an awful lot of us were trying to live beyond our means. Um, and when we try to live beyond our means, you know, we don't have money for the poor. We don't have money for church. We don't have money for, for, for the gospel. We don't have money for Christians around the world. We don't have money for... So you reorder your life as your tithe and your alms. So first the church and the poor. You know, your 10% and then beyond that 10%. And then you, your, your life falls down there and then you live within your means. It's a tough thing in America. It's a really tough thing in Wheaton. There's this veneer um, that we're all okay and we're all rich and we're all going to be fine and we've all got to keep up. And You have to just really hear me. There's nothing wrong with nice things. I mean, I kind of like it that Audi has cars that have 6, 10, and 12 cylinders. That's kind of fun, you know? And if you make enough money, drive one really fast, somewhere where it's legal, and then come and tell me about it. Or if it's illegal, you can come to confession and tell me about it, and I'll try to suppress a smile and give you a proper penance. So, like, 
you should turn the keys into the church office for about a month. <laughs> Something like that. You know. uh, I'm not talking about what you're, you do not, do not hear me as hair shirt piety. Do not hear me as saying you should never have nice stuff, you should never indulge. Um, you should never, you should never do, I mean I pretty well settled on the text for preaching if I'm the preacher next door. Um, for the text of the gospel for the new place is the, is the, the gospel where the woman breaks um, a year's worth of perfume over Jesus' feet and then all the pietists in the room say, ah, oh, we could have spent that money on something else. And Jesus just shakes his head and says, you know, this is a special day. The poor you'll always have with you. Which is not to diss the poor. He's just saying you have a daily commitment to them, but there are feast days in the church. Okay? But if you don't provide, so if you, we went through all this. If you get mad and stop giving, if you act like you're not part of the community, you're bigger than the community, if you've never given at all, if you don't care about the poor, if you don't think about the poor, you know, if you have two, you know, if you have two houses and three cars and you can't make your payments, Honestly, you're outside the ninth commandment. If you need some help, we can do that. We do the good sense thing. I can help you with it. Uh, let me just say too, you know, I don't know if it's because turning 50-ish a little bit, but I'm running out of heartbeats. And um, almost every day I think about whether my life matters. I would just urge you to start thinking about that as soon as you possibly can. I've been thinking about that for 20 years, but it seems to have more impulse. I just don't know how often you wonder if your life has any impact or matters. But normally what happens when people start to think that way, have I been able to make any impact with the gifts the Lord has given me, or have I just sort of squandered them away or put them on a shelf? That's sort of a click point in the church where people start to get some stuff done. When you can see the end of the line, um, you ought to get busy. Unfortunately, we should be able to see the end of the line from the time we're 15, 20, or 25. It normally doesn't. And I will tell you it accelerates with you as you get older, and I'm sure older people around here could say that. The problem is they start to protect the wrong things. They start to protect the legacy, they start to protect stuff. What they need to protect is the church. What they need to protect is the poor. What they need to protect is Christ. That's what the Lord tells us to protect, to honor, to serve. See? You might um, think about that when you see the outreach budget, the outreach number in the next budget. Um, that would be a mighty sin uh, that then needs to be corrected. There's not much we can do about it right now but it is indicative of um, short-sightedness and hard-heartedness and mismanagement. And so, um, having said that, we've repented of it, and you can't always make wrongs right immediately, but wrongs need to be made right, okay? Have I tried by various rights to make the property of others my own, saying they don't really deserve it, and I do, for me. Self-pity is not a virtue. Do I, have, uh, do I have to keep wishing for and dreaming for other things that I don't have before I can work with a diligent heart? Do you do, um, as the scriptures say, you go to your work not as men pleasers, as eye service, but you go to your work because the Lord has given you work to do for the glory of God and service to your next door neighbor? Have I lived in grudging discontent with whatever God has given me? Relentless about what I do not have and neglectful of thankful generosity for what I do have. And I'll just add for this, you people who have more, and I'll include that myself in that, so we people who have more, I'll just be real honest with you, we could take a lot of press of people who have less. I don't even mean you know, people in the street or homeless people. We could take a lot of press off people who have less in this congregation, people who have lost jobs, people who don't have as much. We could take a lot of press off people 
if we together were more generous. So just kind of think that through. I, I don't, I don't want to be too harsh with you, but I do want you to begin to think about how you could reorder. I mean, maybe your life looks like, I've puzzled about this a lot. You know, maybe, maybe life looks like a 10% tithe and the next 10% for the poor. Maybe that's what life looks like. Or maybe, maybe things have to be reordered that dramatically as habit, not even as extraordinary, just as habit. And think about what kind of press that would take off your, off your neighbor, you know? We send the Russians $8,000 to buy a house, they think they've died and gone to heaven. It's $8,000. $8,000 falls out of our pockets on the way in from, you know, parking our cars coming inside. And we really have much more than we think we do. So let's, let's try to think about, rather than kind of holding on to it, how it can be expanded into the world. And this, of course, is true for people. Um, you know, they include animals here, but you know, your most important thing here is wife, kids, family. You covet your neighbor's wife, um, you know, his manservant, maidservant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We should fear and love God. So we didn't entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers, animals, or turn them against, but urge them to stay and do their duty. So when you have a worker here, uh, let's just take the church, for example. Does everybody in the church speak positively of every other worker and urge them to... Um, Respect authority, respect order, and do their best. Is that how we always talk as a staff and as a congregation? Do we always talk that way? Because Christ, we did this at the beginning. He's ordered the church in a particular way. Or if I always think somebody else's wife is better than my wife, I can tell you how my life is going to end up, right? And I can tell you, other wives, uh, I just speak from a man's perspective, other wives and other women my advice to you is not even to look up. And especially when people are having trouble with their spouse um, and other people appear, that is illusion. That is not real life. Real life is the spouse you've got and go to work on it in the way of Ephesians 5 as the image of the church. If you have some other God, some other Christ, some other church, or some other wife, here's the thing. Nobody ever makes demands on you from outside when you're not in relationship with them. But to, to be in relationship with somebody is hard work. And when you, when you say, if I say about my wife, well, she could only, or couldn't she be better, or why didn't she think of this, and that person would be someone, I'm not in relationship with that other person. And frankly, that other person doesn't have to put up with me. And frankly, as soon as somebody else has to start putting up with me, all illusions are going to be shattered, right? So be content and work with what you've got. I understand that there are extraneous circumstances sometimes, but hard cases make bad law. Stick with what you've been given. And I'm not, you shouldn't hear me in any way of saying, don't be an entrepreneur, don't advance, money's bad, don't be creative, don't work hard, don't extend yourself. I'm not saying any of that stuff. What I'm saying is a simple thing, which is when stuff gets bigger than the Lord himself, where stuff gets bigger than the gifts the Lord has given, then you're out of whack and things are going to go badly for you. And we've suffered some of that here. Um, so you know what? Let's see if we can get that, get that sort of cranked out. So, you know, first Christ and then your stuff, first Christ and your, and your family, and then other folks, okay? So have I wanted my neighbor's spouse, his workers, or his property to be mine? Do I basically just want stuff? Have I tried to win affections and loyalties of my neighbor, spouse, or children, or friends? 
away from the neighbor to me. So I'd be a better husband than your husband. I'd be a better friend than your best friend. I'd be a better employer than your current employer. I'd be a better than, you know, sometimes that's true, you know, especially in the employment thing, but we should be extraordinarily careful about that. Have I urged friends and spouses and workers to go back to their calling, holding to their marriages, friendships, family, and work together? We're going to talk about that in just a second. Do I urge people to keep swinging, you know? Have I fostered discontent within the congregation, uh, with the congregation, its pastor or its leaders, and failed to urge members to stay and do their duty in the divine service, praying, giving, and serving? I said to you a decade ago, the only real reason to leave your congregation is false doctrine. You know? Um, I understand other reasons. I understand better than I used to that people are put together in different ways. And I've also understood now that, um, probably better than I did in the past, that people are constructed, because they're constructed differently, they need particular things. But that's a fairly, that's a smaller category of amiable discussions as opposed to um, I didn't get my way, so I'm going to stop giving. I didn't get my way, so I'm going to speak ill of people. I didn't get my way, so I'm going to go someplace else. I didn't get my way, so I'm going to go someplace else but leave my kids in the school and still, still take the member rate. That's utterly dishonest. I didn't get my way, so I'm not coming to church, but I'm coming to the voters' meeting and vote. It's immoral. It's utterly immoral. You, I don't care what the Constitution says. It's, un, it's immoral. You come. You worship. You go to the Eucharist, you try to reconcile, you give, you work, you speak well, you stick in, you think, you try, you beg forgiveness, you do your best, and then you do it all over again. That's all under the Tenth Commandment. Okay? So, um, I just sort of give you that. Anything else? No, you haven't said anything yet, so else would be the wrong thing to ask. Um, just take the last thing, too, and I think, I think that, you know, I'm going to say this very clearly. God punishes Christians. Um, I wasn't so clear about this as I was, I wasn't so clear about that, especially my vicarage. You know, I can remember a Bible study blowing up over this point. God punishes Christians. God punishes non-Christians. The difference is he punishes Christians <clears throat> toward their confession, reform, and salvation. He punishes non-Christians toward um, hopefully toward their confession and reform, but without that, um, toward their destruction. So I just tell you, that's why Luther says whenever you have something go wrong in your life, you really take a good look at it. You can't always tell why. Like, say, you know, um, I fall asleep after going till 5 o'clock tonight and get hit by a train going home. You'll all have different interpretations about that. Uh, if I need the Lord, or... We shouldn't have had him go from 7 to 5 without a meal. Or um, my interpretation would be, if I'm still not comatose, would be something like, hmm, I wonder what the Lord is up to here. Um, there are some obvious answers, like if I cut between the gates, uh, that's just a fact of nature, you know. You cut between the gates, it's the first thing you learn grow up, growing up in Iowa, you never go between the gates. You go between the gates. Every time somebody goes between the gates here, or I drop my wife off at the train, I see people running across because the gates are down, but they got to make their train. Yeah, did you know that the express is coming on the other line? You know, just so if I go between the gates. But beyond that, every, every illness, every um, pain can be, is caused for reflection, says Luther, for you to examine your life. 
It could be that it was visited upon you. It could be preemptive for something new. It could be a result of. The problem is we can't always pronounce. We can't always pronounce. And we shouldn't try to pronounce when we don't know. But um, the fact is, the other side is true too. Do what the Lord says and he'll bless you beyond what you can ever possibly imagine. Love, obedience is gospel, then goes with blessing and protection. I mean, one of the things that's gotten the pastors through this past year is a divine call comes with divine protection. It's just as simple as that. A divine call comes with divine protection. Uh, you know, it's just the way life is. God protects those who do his will and seek to do his will, who go to his Eucharist, who are forgiven, who remember their baptism, who say their prayers constantly, who try not to hate, who want to be reconciled, who want to live as children of God, even to their death. When you're an old man, they'll bind you and take you places you don't want to go. Follow me. That's the gospel. So what does God say about these commandments? He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Here it is. And this is always, you know, this is like, it's heartrending to read this. Punishing the children for the sin of their fathers. If I'm a bad father, I infect my kids. Even if I simply infect them with neglect, which then draws punishment down upon them. Punishing children of the fathers, for the ch punishing children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now be very careful here. Um, it's not like uh, you sin on the way home today so the Lord you know, draws a laser bead on your kid. That's not it. It's not a tit-for-tat kind of thing in the church. It's you hate the Lord enough that you utterly, you, 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 you go after the Lord with a pattern of neglect and at some point the Lord wears his, his patience, wears thin with you and with me. Romans 2, do you presume upon the righteousness of God? You think you can just go on sinning and sinning and sinning and the Lord's not going to do anything ever? At some point, boom. So what's the, now what's the antidote to that? What keeps you safe from that? The Eucharist every week, remembering your baptism every day. The Eucharist every day, praying for those that hate you, turning the other cheek, trying to live in love, repenting of your whole life, letting everything be forgiven, even your best works. So it's not that you, you know, I yell at my wife and so the Lord, you know, strikes my kid down. It's not that. But I will say if I spend 20 years yelling at my wife, my kids are going to feel the effect of that. Okay, because I'm a bad father and a bad husband. Of course, the other side is true too, isn't it? Um, but showing love to a thousand generations, and do you get this? It's Dr. Nordling, you might have run into him at some point, who once said to me um, in, in Romans, where it says, um, sin abounds, but grace abounds all the more. It uh, was Nordling who once said to me, that the word used there for sin abounds is, is a word for addition, two plus two plus two, and grace abounds all the more is the word for multiplication, two times two. And so then he picked up what Walter already knew, which was that there's always way more gospel than law, always more grace than sin. Um, that's why you should fund the classics. Um, if anybody wants to write a big check someday to, to Nordling at Fort Wayne, there's brilliant stuff going on there. So that's why, that's why we need folks like that but showing love to a thousand generations. So you get punished for, for three or four generations, you get love for a thousand generations. Isn't that great? Of those who love me and keep my commandments, not as earning your salvation. You know, these people were drawn out when they were dead, they were resurrected. But as 
blessing them as the new people of God. You know, what does this mean? God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. You, me, us together, you know? Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. But he promises grace and every blessing to all those who keep these commandments. Therefore, we love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands, not as a this for that, but because that's who we are. We are baseline new people. It's Easter. We've been resurrected. The Lord loves us. He cares for us. He comes for us, wants us. Um, and I just, you know, at the end of the day, I wish you could have the Ten Commandments as your best friend. Because they are, as I told you before, a, a reflection um, of God himself. It was old Horace Hummel who taught. I'm still alive. I mean, what a guy. Uh, still going. I went to Russia with him the first time I went, and he was, you know, spry at well beyond 70. Nothing he wouldn't eat, drink, or climb in or out of. Uh, he would say, um, the Ten Commandments are, is the Lord looking in the mirror. The Ten Commandments reveal the character of Christ. So there you are. This is the character of Christ. He's utterly subservient to his Father, First Commandment. He prays diligently and makes great use of the holy name. He rests as the Father serves him. He is um, Father to us, Pater Familius at the Eucharist. He is utterly honest. He is utterly faithful. He's utterly pure. He's content with what he has. And he does all that he does to advance his neighbor in love for God. That's what a community is meant to look like. You know, at some point, somebody's going to ask me, you know, I'm sure in the information, where's the church going? What are we supposed to look like? That's what it's supposed to look like. The church is supposed to look like the relationship between the Son and the Father. The church is supposed to look like the Ten Commandments. The church is supposed to look like a Eucharistic community. The church is to look like those who ever seek to be reconciled and to live in love and obedience and hear that as the gospel. That's what the church is meant to do. Now, I gave you nothing about what I thought I was going to do, but uh, maybe next week Gainig will be exhausted from baptizing his second child. He didn't baptize his first child. He wasn't ordained yet. It wasn't given to him to do, but I'm sure that's going to be an emotional day for him next week, should they choose to come next week. So we'll talk one more time, but I am only going to, and I don't know how long it'll go, because I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when I sort of start talking, I don't stop. So... You know, but what I want to say to you is, I want you to um, I'll tell you in the next story next week. I want you to start to think about what it takes to forgive people when it's about them and not about you. And I think it's on those two handouts I gave to you. So forgiveness is about them, Matthew 18, about reconciling your brother, being reconciled with your brother. It's about them and it's not about you. You always think that, you know, if you just get it all forgiven, that big weight will be off your shoulders, it's going to be okay. That's all true. But, of course, forgiveness is about relationships. So it's always about the next person to love. Okay? Yes, please. So the question is, when God punishes you, does he do it, or does he have, or sometimes just let somebody else do it? Right. 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 
It's both of those things, but it's very difficult to tell the difference. And what's often the hardest thing, you have daughters, I have daughters, what would be extraordinarily hardest to have your daughter hurt, mine too, especially in some way that they didn't see it coming or didn't deserve it, walking down the street and something happened. Those things are extraordinarily difficult to bear. Um, and I would even be reluctant to put them into this category. So there are, there are things that sometimes people do to other people, and all you can say about that is, it's because there's evil in the world. So sometimes it's outside the category. Not every suffering is a punishment, okay? Not every suffering is a punishment. However, we daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment. That's what the Catechism says. Uh, it, but I just, you know, this is, I've spoken to you so sort of starkly today that I, 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 I'm sure I'll be regretting this by 6.30 tonight. However, um, I, maybe because I haven't said it enough, we haven't always done as well as we might around here. But I just want to be very careful. One of the worst things that can happen to you is if you start to think there's so much evil in the world and we're so sinful and so much bad stuff happens to even good people, even to Christian people, if you start to try to say this is that and match up every horrible thing that happens to you with something you did wrong, you will be crazy by midnight. You will. Especially when it happens to somebody you love and especially when it's unprovoked. Okay? That's why I sort of gave you this general thing of when something happens, kind of see the big picture and use it as an opportunity for reflection. I mean, if you drink too much and you, your liver goes and you die, we know what happens. If you sleep around a lot and you get HIV AIDS and you're terribly sick, we sort of know what happens. You know, if you abuse your wife and, you know, we know, I mean, there's some cause and effect things in life, but a lot of stuff is not cause and effect. And if you try to make it cause and effect, if you try to see into the mind of God or even see from his perspective, you will absolutely make yourself crazy. Much more profitable for you, it seems to me, is the gospel lesson where Jesus says to Peter, do this, and sometimes it's going to be very painful. Follow me. And, of course, you know the answer, that that's what Peter did. He did, in fact, follow. He was a guy who once denied. He was a guy who never denied again. And he paid for it. Right? Which is a satisfying life. The most satisfying life is to do exactly what the Lord asks you to do. Exactly. We're not good at it. We fail a lot. We need to be forgiven. The most satisfying life is to rejoice in God's gifts, to receive his Eucharist, to be baptized, to confess, to hear absolution, to live together in love, to care for your family, to live as community, to speak well of everyone, to always think of your neighbor first. You know this stuff, but it's so difficult to put it into practice. But now's the time, friends. You have a limited number of heartbeats left. Make your life matter. Okay? All right. Big day. A lot of stuff to do. And... Um, so let's pray, Eucharist, one more time, and then off we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Peace. See you soon.